y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith's America podcast, not the Marty's Miss America podcast. The Marty Smith's America podcast. This is volume 36, and it is awesome. I get the great opportunity to hang out today with Jerry Stackhouse, the former University of North Carolina All-American National Player of the Year, you name it. Stack had an 18-year NBA career. That dude scored 30 points a night in 2000-2001. I think that's the right year. If it's not, Travis, just tell somebody later. But I think that's the right year. 30 and He went for like 29 and a half a night. That is unbelievable. And this conversation was so interesting. You guys are really going to enjoy what Stack has to say about his time at North Carolina, the mentorship and the insight and the perspective and the love that he received from Dean Smith, the legendary Carolina coach, and what he has to say about coaching and what he has to say about the NCAA is extremely interesting. And that's not all. I had Ohio State versus Michigan, the game, this past weekend in Columbus, Ohio. It was my first experience at that game, and it was wonderful. And a whole lot of weird stuff happened. So we're going to catch up with the weirdness. We're going to chat with Keegan Kemp. He's the kid you guys have seen all over TV who crowd surfed from the bottom of the student section all the way to the top and looked utterly terrified doing it. And we're also going to chat with a couple Ohio State dads. I don't know if you guys saw the live shot I did where the one guy was just pointing at me the whole time and the other guy, stone-faced as the devil, just eased in the live shot and eased right back out. And they both became phenomenons. That's Carl Hilliard, Justin Hilliard's father, Justin plays for Ohio State, and Montez Peterson, K.J. Hill's stepdad. They're really close friends and they are hysterical. Y'all aren't going to want to miss that. But before we get to all that, I want to remind you guys, you got to go get a suit from Indochino. Indochino is the world's most exciting made-to-measure menswear company. They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements. It's unparalleled fit and comfort. Here's how it works. You visit a stylist at an Indochino showroom, have them take your measurements personally, or you can measure yourself at home and go shop online at Indochino.com. Choose your fabric inside and out. Choose your design customizations, submit your measurements with your choices, and relax while your suit gets professionally tailored and mailed directly to your door in just a couple weeks. This week, you guys get any premium Indochino suit you want for just $359. Go to Indochino.com and enter the code MARTY at checkout. That's 50% off a regular price suit for a made-to-measure premium suit. Plus, shipping is free. You don't pay shipping. $359. Indochino.com, promo code Marty for any premium suit, just $359, and you don't pay for shipping. This is an incredible deal for a premium made-to-measure suit. Indochino is also expanding into casual clothing. Your made-to-measure chinos will quickly become your go-to pants. Pairing as easily with a suit jacket as they do with a sweater, and they'll be good any time of the year for any occasion, from the boardroom on Monday to brunch on Sunday. Indochinos at an introductory price of just $79. There's nothing like a tailored suit. It's wonderful. $359, Indochino.com, promo code Marty. Go right now. And now, without further ado, my wide-ranging conversation with Jerry Stackhouse. 
Man, it is a pleasure in my life to have the opportunity to talk to a guy I grew up watching. We're almost the same age. You might be a year or two older than me, Jerry. We won't tell anybody. Uh, <laughs> the great Jerry Stackhouse. And we'll get into your coaching desires, and we'll get into your amazing NBA career and all that stuff in a little while. But we're going to talk a whole lot of college hoops because I grew up on Tobacco Road, and you are one of those guys, man, who was just a staple of one of the greatest rivalries in all of sport. Um, so I just I want to start there. I saw you. Okay. All right. I saw you. I went to Duke basketball camp a couple times. I went to several camps there, and. I think you were a rising freshman at Carolina. I think you just graduated from high school. Yeah. You were participating in a counselor game at night in Cameron Indoor. Yeah. And, yep. brother, I saw you dunk all over Christian Leitner. I mean, <laughs> it was, I mean, it, it was, it was something to see, man. I, I want to know, first of all, do you remember those times? Yeah, absolutely. I was I was really close to Grant Hill at the, at that time. You know, we had uh, um, just just got close to him coming up on unofficial visits and stuff. And Grant was was great. You know, like always inviting me to come up and you know on the unofficial workouts and stuff. And we used to used to have some great runs up there, man. I Duke was really high on my list. And I mean, it's like I, for the story's crazy. It's the funny thing has happened, and I was up there again at a you know a little bit later in my career. Um, you know, in my high school career. Uh, was and I got the same. I got summons from like a a scrimmage uh, or something, and it was like uh, Coach Coach K wants to see you in his, in his office, and it was basically it was like it's almost like an ultimatum. I mean, I think he had tried that with a lot of players before and had success with it. He basically told me, you know, that I need to let him know what I was going to do, or they was going to put more of their focus on Joey Beard. So I basically said, well, just go with Joey Beard, and I never came back to Duke campus again. <laughs> that was, that's, that's the total that's the guy's honest truth right there I just I couldn't believe it I mean I'm there on an unofficial visit on my own time and I get basically an ultimatum to say alright you need to let us know what you're going to do like I know my experience my I'm going to make my decision when it's my decision and I decided to go to North Carolina and, and, and never look back I, I could hear the smile on your face when you started that answer about the pickup game. And as you progressed through your answer, that smile was gone, Jerry. I heard it go. I heard it just leave the premises. Unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. But, you know, it works. I mean, the different recruit employees work with different guys. It just didn't work with me. I mean, like I said, I didn't feel like it was – should have come down between me and Joey Beard deciding on the scholarship, but it did. And uh, so I, I made it easy on him. Go with Joey so, Beard. So, how do you describe for someone who may not have grown up in the South the magnitude and the passion and the hatred in that eight miles between Duke and Carolina? Well, I mean, I just think it's you know it's a rivalry that's taken you know taking on a life of its own just from the standpoint of it's been so many great teams, great players, I mean, great coaches. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day. You know, I feel like Coach Smith, to me, I'm biased. I feel like he's the greatest coach ever. He's who I played for, who I, I learned a, a ton from as a player. And, and Coach K, he's right there. I mean, like, to, I mean, you can't – he's probably not, not even two. It's one, one A and one B 
for what he's been for for college basketball and um so when you when you have those good teams or that those greater coaches that there's going to be some you know some real emotion become a part of of the rivalry and and it's, and it's trickled down to the fans trickled down to the students and it's just uh, it's, it's it's a fun time of the year when when Duke and North Carolina gets together and no, no matter what sport it is but obviously college basketball is just, is the cream of the crop when it comes to to that rivalry What's the memory for you? Is it the reverse dunk on the baseline? Yeah, I mean, I just the, the fact that they never won a game when I was there. So that's the, that's what I take away from it. I mean, we were they were on Sheed and our our teams there are four and zero, and but you know the, the end game I actually that that and that the picture of when Jeff Capel you know hit that three from from half court and I was standing right under the basket and I had the perfect view of seeing that ball come in and. You know, and then the funny thing, everybody, a lot of people think we lost that game on on, on that shot. You know, they, they forget that we came into you know, overtime, and Donna Williams basically just um, was Donna Williams and and took the game over in the overtime. But uh, it was such a great ride. We were up big. They fought all the way back. Rasheed fouls out. Um, just just a great basketball game that that thankfully uh, ended in our favor. Donald Williams was an assassin, Jerry. He was. That guy he was. was he nasty. Was. One of the uh, biggest disappointments of my, you know, my time there is not seeing him get drafted in the NBA because I thought, you know, probably if he'd have left a year earlier, you know, he would after being the most outstanding player in the, you know, in the tournament as a sophomore, he probably would have been a first round draft pick and had a. Uh, 20 year career, uh, 15, 20 year career because of the way he shot the basketball. But because he he came back, got hurt his junior year, then got banged up again his senior year. Uh, you know, never really, you know, the NBA didn't become a part of his life the way I felt like it it could could have been. So that was that was you know it was kind of bittersweet. You know, when it got drafted, Rashid and I got drafted third and fourth in the '95 draft, and not seeing you know Donald get drafted. Was was you know it was like I said it was bittersweet happy the excitement that that we were going but to see him uh, after sacrificing and coming back and 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 to not come come to fruition for him of of, of having that NBA path was, was was disappointing to say the least. You noted a moment ago that you feel like Coach Smith is the greatest greatest of all time. Expound on his impact on your life, Jerry. What what did that man mean to your growth as a person? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, when it, when it comes to my – he's a father figure, absolutely. When on that campus, you know, we knew who you know, who ran the show, Dean Smith. I mean, as far as, you know, growing up, obviously, I, I felt like my parents had done a great job of raising me and, and becoming someone who Coach Smith wanted to have a part of his program. And, and I think that – but from a, a basketball standpoint, just being able to see the game and understand – you know how he taught the game. You know it translated to, um, you know, more so to the NBA game, even to than college. I mean, I felt like we were really prepared because of the little things, the minor details, the um, just just being on time. You know, little, little details. I mean, he might have a, a meeting at four fifty-four. You know, it's not at five o'clock. It's at four fifty-four. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying it's just those little things of making sure that you. Focus on being where you're supposed to be on time and doing your job, you know, playing the game uh, unselfishly, um, starting, you know, the game with defense, letting your defense 
um, spark your offense and different things like that. And it was tough. My, you know, that freshman year when, you know, we had that loaded team that had just come off of winning the national championship and we have that group of myself, Rashid, and, and Jeff McInnes as, you know, really touted high school class coming in. And, man, it was it was some real battles there. So, I mean, it was it was an opportunity for lessons to be to learn because we didn't have to play because they were we were a, a deep team. So I think from that standpoint, just being able to watch and, uh, and compete. And I think that's what, you know, really stood out with Coach for me was just the, the fact of competing, wanting to do everything that he asked me to do. He told me to run through, you know, those bleaches full speed. I was going to do it because I just believed in, in, in who he was as a coach and felt like he was would be telling me something to run through those bleaches that was going to help me get better. And I think all of the guys that played for him um, kind of feel the same way. On that same note, We've always heard he was the one guy that could stop MJ from scoring. You being an elite scorer, how did how did his influence force you to take more of a okay, I'm going to make sure that this is an all-encompassing team approach. What what was that evolution for you? Well, I mean, I, I think it's just from the standpoint of sharing the basketball and and being able to play with other other great players. That's the thing about North Carolina. It's not that you know there were other highly recruited players that were coming to play with you, and and you, and, that's, and that's a a lesson within itself, understanding how to share the floor with other good players. And I think that was um, coming in and you know being on practicing against you know the national championship team from '93 of you know Eric Montross and Salvadori and Brian Reese and Derek Phelps. You know it was just that that alone uh, was. It was it was a great experience of, of being able to, to share the floor, finding your niche and how you can be a part of something as opposed to in high school where it was all about you. So I think that was – it was almost like breaking you down somewhat to build you back up. And I think that once we were kind of broken down that, that, that the ego and, and whatever we thought about ourselves as, as freshmen and getting through that first year, which was a challenging year. I mean, we got knocked out of, you know, Early for, with Boston College that year, kind of a sour year. But that next year, as sophomores, you know, it was like, okay, it's time for you to be you. You know, so I, I don't think there was ever a question of trying to hold anybody to, to 20. And if you could get 25, get 25. If you get 30, get 30. But it's all a part of of, of our team and, and, and sharing the ball and playing playing the right way. I mean, if, it, if it just so happens that it's your night – Great, get forty points. But if it's an opportunity for you to to make your teammates better, as opposed to taking tough, challenging shots against double teams, we want you to do that. So I I think that was a real myth um, that you know that 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 was kind of a negative on Coach Smith that I didn't think it was true. You know, like when they were recruiting me out of high school, other teams was like, you know, he, the same thing. He had only wanted to hold Michael Jordan to this, and he's going, you know, he's going to play a system basketball. And then Coach Smith, when you go in and talk to him, they were number one in scoring in the <laughs> in the ACC. <laughs> so it's like something got to give one way or the other. Either they're not telling the truth on the other side because this team is scoring. They're leading the league in scoring. So uh, it doesn't seem like he's holding anybody back. But that's that's just part of, um, you know, what drew me to North Carolina, just to be everybody was promising everything. Coach Smith was more of a mindset, you know, you come in and you're going to work. I, I, I hadn't been a coach this long 
not playing my my best players. You come in and you work and you earn your time, you you're going to get it. And that was challenge that that I really liked and 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 the one that I ultimately decided on. I've been around Nick Saban a lot, Jerry, and that sounds a whole lot like a lot, lot like his philosophy. I'm not going to promise you nothing. If you come right. in and you earn, come it, in and earn it's it. yours. Yep. Yeah, they want that challenge and they not want to uh, be promised that, all right, we're going to hand you the ball. You know, there was a lot of opportunity for that, but I, mean, I just think it was, uh, I was, you know, more, it served me better in the long run. And, and you know, I think that was how I was able to carve out a long year playing at the next level, too, because of those lessons that I, I learned under Coach Smith in those two years I was there in North Carolina. How did he shape your passion for coaching? Well, I think I, just from being able to over the years of playing and 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 seeing those fundamentals that I got, you know, there again translate to every you know style of basketball. I played with for a lot of different coaches and and a lot you know and and a few different teams, but on the most successful teams that I was on, those principles that that I was taught there you know seemed to rear their head and and the ones that and that didn't or wasn't successful team weren't on good teams that kind of that kind of contradicted those things that were staples of 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 of, of North Carolina's identity so I think from that standpoint it really helped me uh know that you know I I understand how to play the game obviously I had to learn the NBA game is different than college but uh, again, like I said, I was better equipped because of those those lessons and 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 how um, it, it was a, a build up, you know, kind of a build up of of, of how you see the game. And, and, and but without those fundamentals, I, I don't know if I would ever had that passion to, to to coach. But it just seemed like as I got older, I was always gravitate to the younger players, wanting to show them and share with them the things that I knew that they didn't know. Um, and then it really kicked on when I was toward the end of my career. Uh, my son was in the eighth grade, and I was going to watch him play, and I saw that they were just rolling the balls out there at him. And I felt like, all right, these kids are old enough to where they could really be learning the game of basketball. I had some time. So I decided to put this little eighth-grade team together, AAU team. And from there, I watched these kids get better so fast. Like, man, just this little bit of you know structure that was given to given to them then all of a sudden they become, you know, uh, you know, not really the most talented team, but a team that could go out and and beat a more talented team. So it's like that that switch to you know flip the switch in me to be like, man, I enjoy this. I enjoy seeing these guys get better. And from there, um, I started you know coaching. Brandon Ingram came to that a that same AAU team as like as an eighth ninth grader, and. You know, from there, I started working with, you know, Adidas Nations, doing some things with their grassroots program, took a team over to Euro Camp and was able to get in front of some NBA GMs and everything. And they see me in a coaching light, not just a player's light. And um, I got an opportunity to go work in Toronto under Dwayne Casey Seth, Masai Ujiri, who's, you know, the president and general manager there. He wanted to have more of a uh, a player's perspective, you know, former player perspective on that coaching staff, and and I got there, got an opportunity, you know, to to see, you know, learn from from Casey. A year later, I got my own, you know, team. I was, you know, promoted to to coach the G League team, and 
you know, here I am now, you know, here in, in Memphis after, you know, winning the championship there, really kind of, you know, hanging my hat on being a great defensive team. You know, everybody wants to play offense and get up and score a lot of points, but we hung our hats on, on still making it tough on teams defensively, which is a staple of, again, my principles and core of who I am from, from playing in North Carolina and playing under Coach Smith. So I think all those things are, you know, kind of accumulate to me being here and, um, you know, in Memphis this year, you know, helping, you know, Coach Bickerstaff and, you know, we're in, uh, amongst another young and you know, really good coaching staff and hopefully one day to be able to have an opportunity to, to man my own team. I, I felt like I was close. I interviewed with a couple teams this year. felt like I was really close and I was ready. But, you know, you never know. So I think this experience of having, you know, being on an NBA bench, not just behind the bench like I was in Toronto that year, now I'm getting to see even more experiences that are, that are helped me in the long run. That that you know, like again, I felt like I was ready for, but you never know until you're in it. But I think I'll be be better served and better prepared for it because of it. Why do you believe you should be an NBA head coach? Well, I mean, I, I feel like this. You know, I'm I'm a buck the system a little bit. You know, I, I think I. You know, offensively, I want. I love to score the basketball. I was a scorer. You know, so I mean, I, that's never going. I'm never going to lose sign of that. But I think, again, I like for the good, the better teams that I've been on over my career were good defensive teams. And, and as a scorer, I know things that I don't like or I didn't like to see as an offensive player. And I think that's basically my mentality of defense is of make the offense do the things that I didn't like to see as as an offensive player and that's bode well for me and I think it would bode well for you know any team to allow me an opportunity to 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 bring that type of identity um, to their organization so uh, I just think that's that's what, what, what I've that's just the next kind of progression of, of what I've done and where I've been uh, not to say that the NBA is the only opportunity. I mean, I think college basketball could could very well be successful because of my, uh, you know, being around, you know, in the grassroots basketball, having my own AAU program. I'm I'm touching a lot of these kids really early. I mean, a lot of the top kids that are right now the the name brands of of, of the NBA, the Jason Tatum's, the Jalen Browns, the Brandon Ingram's, all these kids I've touched and been able to coach when they were in the secondary level and now seeing them kind of flourish, um, you know, it just, just fuels my passion to be able to, to take it take it to the next step and take it to another level. So knowing what you know about those young men coming up and the experience that they have going through AAU and high school and the McDonald's All-American scenario and all of the – all of the periphery, everything that comes with it. What's your take on one and done? Um, man, we ain't got enough time. <laughs> <laughs> we ain't got enough time to to get into my thoughts on one and done and the NCAA and how that could, you know, be rectified to to make it better for 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 these players who have the talent, that have the elite talent. Um, it's, it's it's just a just some something that needs to be figured out for both sides. I mean, I, you know, whether it's you know paying players, I know that sounds right, but but when you're generating so much revenue, 
you know, billions and billions of dollars and, you know, coaches and everyone, or the institutions are, are benefiting tremendously. And these kids that, you know, you're doing it on their backs and, and, and after four year careers, you know, some of them if it don't pan out and they're the pros, they have nothing. So I just think that's, that something's wrong with that picture that could, could be fixed, whether it's a trust, something that we could do for these kids later on in life. Maybe they put put some money in the trust that they could get when they really need it at maybe 35 or 40 years old, but it's just too many dollars that's not allocated to the, to, to, to the actual product. I mean, it's, it's the same thing that's going on in the NBA, and we see, you know, how they compensate their players, and I'm not in no way am I saying that professional basketball and, and collegiate uh, basketball players should, should be looked at the same. I'm not saying that, but I think when you are dealing with, with revenue of that size, there's a uh, everyone should be able to eat. And, and right now, the players are the ones that don't have any representation at the at the table. I feel like the the NBA Players Association, their union, should 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 step in and and give these guys some representation. I mean, but as long as just the, the coaches and the the institutions are the only one. And, and, and the TV companies are the only ones that are, are profiting from off of their backs and they have no representation at the table, things are going to stay the same. So we got to find a way to get them some a voice. And I think the best voice that it could possibly be would be, would be um, the NBA Players Association. They're the ones that, that could reach back and really um, reach back to these guys and, 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 and be a voice for them at the table with the NCAA and, and then USA Basketball and all these other institutions. That's a very interesting perspective. And I know we probably don't have a whole lot of time left, so I won't belabor it, but I am so intrigued by when that realization hit you, Jerry. How far out of North Carolina were you when you said, you know what, man, I'm not sure if this system is right? Um. I don't know. I, mean, I think it's as it become. It's kind of been the elephant in the room that no one talked about for so long. I think. So when uh, you were at Carolina, you guys felt this way too. No, I mean okay. we just man, we, you know, we didn't even think about it. I mean, I don't think we thought about. You just thought about going to the college, and no one thought about it one and done. I didn't. I thought I was going to be at least you know you know if I had a great career, I'd be there three years and maybe have an opportunity to leave after my junior year. You know, I didn't know that it was going to, you know, happen for me so fast to where I was going to have, I was having teams at the top of the draft telling me that they were going to draft me as, you know, after my sophomore year. So some, I, I never fathomed that. I couldn't even fathom going out of, you know, leaving high school um, and going right into the pros. You know, because nobody was even talking about it at that time. But, you know, looking back at the talent that, that did make that jump from high school to, to, to the pros, I was right in that same group. I could have very easily did that and started the clock ticking um, on my on my NBA career earlier. But you know, as far as the the revenue, I mean, we just you know, I think Coach Smith and all those they did everything that they could to take care of us. You know, with within the rules as far as like summer jobs and 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 you know, we we stayed at the best hotels. We uh, we ate at the best restaurants as a team. You know, no matter where we were, we you know we were we we we, we were the part of the best. So I mean, it, you know, my, my mindset just wasn't on, you know, what the NCAA 
you know, really stood for and represented at that time. And, and, and obviously, I think TV revenue, you know, over the years in March Madness, it, I mean, like the, the dollars have, have become astronomical. So now, you know, maybe when it, you know, way back then, you know, when you could, you know, education has had a, a number on it on what it costs for a regular student to go to college, uh, whatever that was. It might have been more in line with what the TV deals were at that time. I don't know. It probably wasn't, but they may have been. But now, um, when you start looking at the major dollars that is coming in, you know, for on the revenue side from from TV deals and, and and different other endorsements, it's just not in line. It's not in line with just the uh, the price of an education and the money that's being generated. You can't equate the two. You know what I'm saying? It's, 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 it's so disproportionate that you got to find a way to come up with a be- better system that, that involves the players. When you got to the NBA, what were your hopes and dreams? Uh, my hopes and dreams was just to, man, just to show that I belong, really. You know what I mean? I think it was the best of the best. You never know. I mean, you see so many guys that come in, and, you know, in my mind, I thought I was going to be, you know, just that same, you know, progression that I had as a you know high school player becoming one of the best high school players in the country you know as a college player becoming one of the best college players in the country you know the best high school player you know but you know certain places in national player of the year college you know sports illustrated national player of the year so the pros I expected to be the very best there too over time so I think um just from uh, you know, I, I came out with a lot of comparisons. I see Michael Jordan, and we were both from North Carolina. We both went to the University of North Carolina. We're six six. You know, you know, war ball head, all those things. So I think it was just it was natural. But to me, I, I it wasn't who I was. I mean, I, like Michael Jordan wasn't who I patterned my game. I, I was, I mean, I was a James Worthy fan. I was, a, you know, Kevin McHale. I was I played with my back to the basket my whole high school career for the most part, but I was able to dribble and and jump and and, and be athletic off the bounce. So I think that's where those. But I never even played shooting guard, not really, not even in North Carolina. I was a, a power forward, you know, made, then slid to the small forward. But I was never a shooting guard, so I never really took those. Uh, comparisons to heart, you know, of trying to be the next Michael Jordan or anything like that. I just wanted to be the best Jerry Stackhouse that I could be. And that wound up carving out, uh, you know what I'm saying, almost a 20-year career, you know, as a professional basketball player. So, you know, whether some people who look at that where you didn't, you know, reach, you know, Michael Jordan's level or, or this and that, man, I had – it wasn't my goal. My goal is to, you know, try to be the best that I can and, and provide for my family. And I was able to do that for, like I said, 18 years at the highest level and able to still continue to be a part of the game of basketball at the highest level, you know, now as a coach. So, um, man, I really have no regrets and, you know, and look back and would change anything. You know, obviously, you know, losing in the finals to, to Miami really kind of sticks in my craw a little bit. You know, not kind of that that world championship eluding me over the time. But I don't know if I'd have done that. Would I have the passion to to, to still win an NBA championship and, 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 and be as passionate as I am about coaching? I don't know. So I feel like everything that has happened um, 
over these last you know, 25 years happened for a reason and put me in a position to be where I'm at now. I'm still hungry, still hungry to try to win a world championship and, you know, not so much from my prowess on the basketball court, but now from, um, you know, be, be able to use my mind and being able to use my motivational skills and, and understanding of the game to, to, to help someone else do it. So that might be my greatest attribute at the end of the day. You averaged 30 a night. In 2001, 30 a night, bro. (laughs) You scored 2,400 points in one year. That is, yeah, man. That is remarkable. Injuries, man. Injuries, man. Toward the end, like in the middle, I had, you know, I lost, I lost a lot of games. To where I felt like if, you know, I was able to play those games and you know and and be as you know consistent as I was for year to year, that I mean, I could easily be sitting on 24, 25,000 points right now. And I mean, that's pretty much shoot, you know, shoe in as a Hall of Fame. So I just feel like, you know, injuries can can rob some of the, you know, long term things that, you know, that we kind of aspire for. But at the end of the day, like I said, you know, I, I think it, everything happens for a reason. And um, and that maybe that's why I'm still here, still part of the game, because of all those, you know, underlying things that that, that happen, good, bad or indifferent. Um, but but they're they're why I'm still here. Well, I uh, I'll tell you what, it's been just such a pleasure to spend this time with man, you. Man, likewise, and likewise, enjoyed it, man. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure, and you have a great one, brother. And hey, good luck in that head coach hunt. You're going to get it. I appreciate it, man. It. I appreciate it. Thank you. I can't tell you guys what how it how it fills my fills up my tank to hear. That kind of insight and that kind of storytelling from a guy who, like I say, I mean, he's only a couple years older than me. I think Stack is maybe only a year or two older than me, but I just remember watching him as such a passionate college basketball fan and watching those Duke Carolina games and watching those North Carolina Virginia games and just what a dominant player he was and what a dominant group of players they were with him and you heard him talking about Donald Williams and Rashid Wallace and all those guys and I wanted so bad to ask him I didn't get the chance to ask him because I felt like I was I think Travis had had gotten Jerry for 20 minutes and I think I'm already at 30 but you heard him saying all those names Brian Reese and that whole lot of guys I want so badly to know I want him to tell me the story of those legendary Tobacco Road Duke Carolina summer pickup games where they're in some old sweaty gym and it's basically the top seven players from both teams in the middle of the summer in the middle of the night running ball against each other. I can't imagine what that would be like to see and to participate in and there's some dudes that would pay a whole lot of money just to sit courtside to watch that. Because I bet you it is intense as hell. And so just to get to oh, hear him discuss his appreciation for Dean Smith and how Coach Smith's principles and Coach Smith's tutor tutoring and Coach Smith's mentorship is still with him right now, even today. And that is a testament to excellence. That is a man who not only won and won and won and won as a college basketball coach but who transformed boys into men and uh 
loved them up. I just, uh, I could, I could have gone another 30 easy. Uh, and I wish Jerry the best in his aspirations to be an NBA head coach or a college head coach. You heard him say it there. He'd be an awesome college head coach. All of you athletic directors out there who are looking for a great coach, young blood, passion to come in and lead your group, this is a guy who can do it. You also heard him discussing his penetration of youth basketball and what you know, how he has developed these relationships with all these young players, these up-and-coming stars who have to choose a college to attend. And he would just be a tremendous college coach. You know who he sounds like, Marty, is Penny Hardaway, who we had on the podcast. I just was thinking the same thing. You're exactly right, Travis. You know, you hear that Memphis took a chance on Penny, and Penny just got the number one player in the country to commit to Memphis. That is a program-changing moment, potentially. I don't know that. You never know how a young man will react to the college game. But when he's the number one player in the country, then you know he's pretty damn good. And Penny getting him to commit to Memphis is massive. And I think that Stack could have that same exact influence. Again, you heard him say it, that whether it was Brandon Ingram or Jalen Brown. Who was the third guy he mentioned? Oh, just a guy Travis? named Jason Tatum, I believe. Oh, yeah, Jason Tatum. Yeah, he's he's doing all right for himself with the Celtics, a, a former Duke star. I loved the story about Coach K. I loved how I was it just started. Ask you, can you oh, ma- my God. Can you imagine being in the room for that, Marty? Oh, my gosh, how good was that? He was like, I ain't hearing that, Coach K. You go ahead and sign Joey Beard. Good luck with that. I'm going to dunk on him every day. Joey Beard did end up having a pretty good career but regardless uh i could go on and on i'll shut up now but what a tremendous honor for me to get to talk to him and travis great job securing that interview we are better for having heard from stack today now i had an interesting weekend i was in columbus ohio for the game it was my first experience with ohio state versus michigan in college football and it did not disappoint i will say i expected a much more competitive game. I expected uh, Michigan's defense to not give up 62 points. That was a a full. That was a dominant performance. That was. Let's just get to it. It was a beatdown, and I loved it, Marty. That was yeah. Well, well, I, I know a guy who happens to be an alumnus of the Ohio State, who is extremely pleased with that outcome. One, Mr. Travis Rockhold. Uh, have you stopped grinning yet? Have you slept yet? How many beers have you consumed? I slept, uh, I had to work, I produced game day, we were on from 3 to 7, so I had, I was sober for the game, had to produce a show after the game, I went out and had a few Tito's. Well Travis, I don't think you were the only guy who had some Tito's on Saturday. Um, I don't know how many of you guys saw this, but there was a young man who decided that he should maybe crowd surf at the horseshoe, but once he got up on the wave, I don't think he appreciated it very much. So we tracked him down to get his thoughts on the matter. What are we going to do, bud? We're going to drink one of these beers. Hand me one of them damn beers real quick. What's up, man? Party party. Congratulations on the victory on Saturday. I'm not sure if you're sober yet, but we need to get to your decision. I need to know the evolution of how this unfolded. So, So do you decide to crowd? How did it unfold? Did you decide to crowd surf? Or did you get crowd surfed? I did decide to crowd surf. It was actually not the first game I've done to that. 
I'm like one of the leaders of the student section, and some of my friends started chanting Keegan Crowd Surf, and I was like, okay, I'll do it. So I did it twice at the Nebraska game, and then uh, twice at the Michigan game, and the first time I did it at Michigan, made it on TV. Well, you didn't look especially thrilled by how this was unfolding. What was your what were your emotions as you're being passed up into the upper reaches of the shoe? Um, so, like, when I first started, my head was, like, at the top, so I was going head first, and then they started spinning me around and having my feet go up first, and that's when I was like, whoa, guys, like, put me the other way. What has been the reaction to this as you've walked around campus the last few days, Keegan? Well, it's, it's been crazy. I've just been, like, eating in dining halls, and people have come up to me and been like, hey, I saw you on Sports Center and stuff, and it's like, Really weird having random people come up and, like, recognizing you from something like that, but it's been an awesome experience. Has it gotten you any dates? Uh, I did get one DM, but she went to that school up north, <laughs> so I didn't respond. What? Why not? Because she's from the school up north, Marty. Kudos to Keegan. Well, okay, I give you credit, I guess. Uh, that really, right there, ladies and gentlemen, is proof of how heated the Michigan Ohio State rivalry is a young lady, a young co-ed from the University of Michigan wants to go out with Keegan and he will not even write her back because of his hatred for Go Blue. But any ladies listening in the 614 area code, that's Columbus, hit up Keegan, come on. Hit him up. The man, obviously he has some athleticism. I mean, he didn't fall and bust his ass as he's being passed all the way to the top of the student section at the shoe. He's loyal um, and trustworthy. I'll give you credit, man. I, I think I would have been tapping out. I would have been telling those crazy asses to put me down, but you just rode the wave. Props. I did, and went up again a second time after that. Well, okay, I'll say that you're out of your mind then. Uh, one last question <laughs> that is fair. very important fair. on the Marty Smith's America podcast. What was your blood alcohol content at this moment, Keegan? Zero. I had nothing wow. to drink. I, then you are my hero. Uh, you can take it to <laughs> the house you. with that. I hope you get some dates from the Marty Smith's America podcast. Y'all hit up Keegan. What is your Twitter handle, Keegan? Let them know. Keegan Kemp. Is that where you get uh, DM? Uh, I'm old. Was that where you get DMs, or is this a Snapchat thing? Is this an Insta thing? What 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 medium are we discussing here? Uh, Twitter. Okay, very good. Maybe I'm not as old as I thought. All right, y'all hit up Keegan on the Twitter machine. Uh, he's open and available to go on dates with uh, co-eds from the Ohio State University. Very good. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us, brother. Wear a helmet next time. You terrified your mom, I feel certain. Did your mom get pissed at All you, right. dude? Oh, no. She, like, knows I do it. She was actually, like, really proud. She texted me. She's like, I saw you on TV. Good job out there. So I have her support. <laughs> All right, well, mom and dad's dollars are being uh, spent well. Uh, they are they are well-spent dollars at The Ohio State University, Keegan. Good luck with the ladies, and wear a helmet next time. We'll see you around, brother. Carl Montez, how we doing, baby? I'm good. good. How, you how you doing? How you doing? <laughs> all right, man, I'm excellent. Uh, first of all, I just need to say thank you, gentlemen, for invading my live shot. You did a damn good job at it. Uh you were both in uh, perfectly in key with that uh, Don't Give a Damn for Michigan song. You guys had a great day. It was probably one of the greatest yeah. days of your life to watch your boys beat sure. Michigan. And uh, All right, so I had no idea that this thing that, that this thing was going to like be a thing. I'm just doing my job. And next thing you know, 
uh, I got one of you pointing at me on my left, and I got the other one of you just roll right into the live shot, and I'm a call like Iceman. That is Iceman. No facial expression, just utter dominance. So I want each of you to to walk me through how this unfolded from your perspective. Carl, you go first. Well, uh, Taz, Taz and I, we've been friends since the boys been in high school. So we like doing silly stuff. It was, it was just a good. It was just a good day. We felt good. We beat the crap out of Michigan. I mean, the team up north. And um, I looked at him, and he looked at me, and we just we we communicated and, and, and made it happen. We just wanted to put you in a pressure situation and see how you was gonna handle it. But we were happy. Well, we wanted the world to to see our pretty faces, and uh, I think we got the job done. What do you think, Tess? I think you uh, explained it just like it needed to be explained. <laughs> It was more like, you know, when you – one thing about Buckeye fans, we get a uh, – especially in the win, we get a little bit crazy. <laughs> as, you, as you saw yourself, Marty, you know, we get a little bit crazy. And, uh, you know, we let ourselves loose, and you caught one on there. You caught that moment just right. So, so how do you, how Marty, you guys Marty, assess my performance? You. What's that, I, Marty? I have to, I have to commend commend you. You just went right along with it. You didn't you didn't pause. You showed yeah, composure, but I, I bet you said, "What in the hell is Iceman in Hollywood?" <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, we, see, we, we were what, trying to see if you going to uh, stumble, but you didn't do you did a good job, man. What y'all don't understand is that's kind of an everyday occurrence for me. I'm very used to uh, immersing myself among the crazies, among the wackos. <laughs> Uh, it, because you know why it makes great TV, and look what happened—you two got famous. What is everybody saying? I want to know what people are saying to y'all, because I know what they're saying to me. What are they you saying in between to you? Between all the laughing, yeah. <laughs> I'm still getting phone calls. I'm getting phone calls. Um, people sending me text messages like, "What in the hell are you doing?" Um, <laughs> look, one thing that Taz and I do—we live life. We live life to the fullest, and it's just. It's just something that we just we we enjoy uh doing. Uh we like to have fun and um but it is it has gone crazy. I mean, my phone won't stop ringing. Iceman to Hollywood. We're going to Hollywood. <laughs> so people so people people appreciate the nicks the nicknames I have bestowed upon you then. Oh yeah, yeah that's Hollywood. I mean, that was, that's Iceman. Oh yeah, I like it myself. I'm not give me a shirt with on there or something like that. <laughs> What did your son say? I want to know what your boys said. My my son slapped his face. <laughs> he put his hand over his face. Oh my god! <laughs> my son said, "Dad, you are I, now. I really can say you are crazy as hell." I've done. I've always done some, some crazy stuff. Um, I've broadcasted a live interview from the, from the alley of a burning telephone pole. Um, I've, I've, I, I just I just do crazy stuff. You never told me about that. Around. Yep, it's story time. I need uh, we need to hear the story about the live broadcast from the phone pole that is aflame. Go. You want to hear it? Yes, I want to hear it. Yes, Me too. Hollywood broadcasting live from the alley of Justin Hilliard's home. Tonight we had a, a explosion on the telephone poles, ladies and gentlemen. As you can see behind me. You see a fire going on here, but one thing I assure you is the Columbus Fire Department is doing a fantastic job in getting this out. So I want all of you guys to get back in your homes and know that Hollywood has everything covered. You're going to be safe. Good night. God bless you. Go Bucks. Somebody has a future. Somebody has a future, America. 
I like it. If I ever have to call in sick, I'm going to hit you guys up. Ladies and gentlemen, I can I have a fever of 103 tonight. Iceman in Hollywood reporting for Sports Center. Hey, oh, yeah. Sounds good to me. All right, are you well, Marty, two going to be at the, uh, at, at the Big Ten Championship? Oh, yeah. man, we, we, we don't miss games. Yeah, we don't miss games. We, you right, know, we're going to well, be there with our look on our face and everything. I love it. it, it yeah, I'm going to be there. <laughs> so I'm going to have to find you two, and we're going to have to take a, a selfie so that America can see our reunion. Yes. Oh, yeah. that's, yeah. hey, that's, that's epic, man. Well, hey, Marty, do you know that that was the worst ass-kicking in the history of the match between the Ohio State and the team up north? I do know. Out of, uh, based out on of 113 study, games, that was the highest points we've ever scored. Indeed. Uh, Marty, no, that's, Marty, that's why State. we were looking like that. Well, I understand. Uh, I, you know, look. <laughs> Had I been at that game, uh, had I been tailgating since uh, – what time did y'all boys get started? 6.30? Uh, we don't remember. <laughs> I'll go fit in just fine on my podcast, baby. I like it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if I'd been going at it since I don't remember, I think that would have been my facial expression to America too, baby. There you go. <laughs> now so based on, on. based on my reporting uh, – I did see that no Ohio State team had ever scored more than 50. And, yes. uh, you know, Dwayne Haskins broke every Big Ten passing record under the sun that day. And, you know, he did have five touchdowns, but then they decided that they wanted to give him six because that one-yard pass, uh, <laughs> that, that like, that shovel handoff thing to Paris went to the house. Yeah. So, right. padding them Heisman, Heisman candidacy stats, I guess, but – Anyway, I'll see y'all on Saturday in Indianapolis. You're awesome. Thanks for being part yeah, hey, of my hey, idiocy. Thank you. Y'all made the show. You're awesome. Hey, Marty, I got one last thing to say. I'm in. We got the best band, damn band, land, best band, <laughs> best damn band in the land. You see, hey, he still ain't recovered from the game, land. Forgive him. The best forgive coach him. in the damn land. He's had a rough year, but we love him. He's the man. You got Iceman. You got Hollywood in the house this Saturday. And it's about to go down. Hopefully, we get to see you, brother. You guys. Hey, uh, by the way, I want to finish that before you. Y'all want you to get off the air with that that scramble he just made. The best damn band in the land. Okay. <laughs> I was getting ready to ask how many y'all had today. You heard it. From, you heard it from Ice Man himself. <laughs> All right, y'all are awesome, man. Thank Do you, you guys. smell what I'll the Ice Man is cooking? <laughs> anyway, Marty, you said we were leaving, so we're leaving. <laughs> y'all are great, man. Hey, I love it. Thank you guys for being awesome. Take Take care. care. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the Marty Party in a nutshell. Those are the fathers of two great Ohio State players. And just so you know, uh, here's why we chatted with them. So I'm doing this live shot after the game. I uh, I had interviewed Coach Meyer. I had interviewed Dwayne Haskins after the game. And right outside of Ohio State's locker room, uh, I have, there's a Twitter show. Actually, I lied. It wasn't a live shot. It was a, it was a report for this Twitter show that Jason Fitz has. Uh, he's been a guest on my podcast and it was wildly, wildly popular. So thank you guys for listening to that. Um, and I just kind of turned around, turned on the camera and I was amongst a bunch of Ohio State parents. And those two clowns, one of them is just pointing right at my face and the other one just 
just he's out of frame. He's not in front of the camera, and he just stone faced leans right in front of the camera, right in front of my face, and right back out again. And they went viral. It went crazy. As you heard them say, they're still getting calls, and their sons think that they're crazier than they thought their dads were before the game. So just that's you know what, Travis, you don't have kids yet. That's parental victory. If you can make your kids go, what in the hell is wrong with you, Dad? You have won parenthood. So websites were out there, high school websites were, you know, someone's got to know who they are. And so Justin Hillier, the linebacker, tweets with three crying emojis and my dad is a fool. Yeah, I thought it was just so, so, all right, I thought Iceman was Justin's dad, right? But he is not. Yes, when I right? contact, I contacted him and he said, there's a little, uh, you know, mess up. He goes, my dad's on the right. He goes, that's KJ Hill's dad on the, the stepdad on the left. Right. And right. so, Iceman, so is- Iceman is KJ Hill's dad and Hollywood is Justin Hilliard's dad. Correct? Correct. Okay. We got it down. And, and they had a reason to be happy. KJ Hill, Justin Hilliard, great out as champions. Both amazing days. Yeah. They had great, great games, as did the vast majority of their teammates. Uh, I'll say this. It was awesome to have the privilege to cover that game. Was that your first, the game? My first one I've experienced. Yes, sir. And I've covered a lot of huge rivalry games. I've been, you know, blessed to go all over this country covering awesome, awesome matchups. But that one, and of course it had more juice because Ohio State hadn't been playing well. The week before they almost get beat by Maryland. Michigan's coming off. The, you know, they're, they're in the middle of the revenge tour where they're laying the wood to everybody and their defense is the top ranked defense in the country and all those things. So there's a lot of circumstance around this. Most people felt like Michigan was going to win that game. And, you know, you, you, you look at it and it was just a complete performance. I asked Urban after the game, how would you assess this performance by your team and by your program? And he said, A plus plus. And you just don't hear Urban Meyer say that every day. So congratulations to Iceman in Hollywood, their sons, everybody on the, in the Ohio State program, you, Travis. And, uh, you know, it was just awesome to be there. It was great to great to experience that day and that passion and that rivalry. Uh, I'll never forget it. Did you stay dry? How was the hair? Yeah, I, I mean, I, it was wet outside, and I got, I got drenched in the morning, but – you know, because I got there. I mean, we got to the stadium at six o'clock. So I woke. 6:15. I woke up. I get on Instagram, and you had some videos, and immediately I was I was ready for the day. It uh, it was a great day. It was a fun day, and it was all. Look, not only is it cool for me to experience something like that, but when you have so many relationships on both sides, don't forget, y'all. I've gone all over the world with Michigan. I've gone to Paris and to Rome with Coach Harbaugh and his staff and his amazing young men. Those kids that play for the University of Michigan are great human beings. And so to get to see everyone was very fulfilling for me. And Michigan ain't done, man. They ain't done. Forgive me while I throw shade on them for a second. Have you ever gone to Indy with them before, Marty? Uh, No. I'm going to Indy this weekend, though. With the real team. So yes, Travis, I know, uh, I know that the Buckeyes are going to Indianapolis. I understand. You can, you, you have every right to talk trash. Um, before we get out of here, I want to say thank you to Smithfield because they are a great partner of mine. They are a great partner of the Marty Smith's America podcast. They're one of the reasons why we get to do this awesome project. 
And I can't wait. We're about a month out now, five weeks out now, from the Eckridge Million Dollar Throw in Santa Clara at the National Championship. Me and Herb Street. Herb Street and me. Let me use proper grammar because you guys know I don't. We don't I use don't proper do, grammar here. Yeah, I don't do bad grammar uh, if I can help it anyway. I take enough crap for my accent. I may, may as well speak grammatically correctly. Anyway, I can't wait for that. It's always so fun and so fulfilling to see somebody try to throw for a million, especially when it, you know, the first year my man threw it plumb 90 degrees left. That was interesting. And that's not my only relationship with, with Smithfield. Again, they also make this podcast possible. And right now with every pack of Smithfield bacon you guys purchase, you can enter for a chance to win bacon for life. You heard me, bacon for life. You know what's funny? I have a buddy who doesn't eat a whole lot of meat, but he hears the Smithfield read on every podcast, and he goes, you know what, man? I just might go back to eating bacon again because of that. How about that? We're doing good in the world, Travis. Should never left, but yes. Bacon for life. All the slow-smoked, crispy happiness that you can handle. Wake up, boom, bacon breakfast. You need lunch during the big game, bacon. And for dinner, bedtime snack, any time of the day. I don't even have to say it because y'all know bacon. You can baconify anything you like, s'mores, pancakes. Make yourself a BLT with a big old mountain of bacon on it. There's no gimmicks, no tricks, just a whole lot of Smithfield bacon for life and for the win. The chance to win is yours right now. Look for specially marked packages of Smithfield bacon in stores or visit smithfield.com slash bacon for life for details. Flavor hails from Smithfield. No purchase is necessary. This offer ends December 31st. Go to smithfield.com slash bacon for life to enter and for entry instructions. I want to thank Travis. Awesome job getting Jerry Stackhouse, getting all these amazing guests for us. I look forward to working with you again on the radio show real soon, too, when Marty and McGee fires back up again uh, as a radio program. We have the TV program right now. If you guys haven't seen that, check it out on Thursday nights on SEC Network. It is the Redneck Rodeo to the utmost degree. Thank you to Louise for being crazy enough to let us do this. Thanks so much to you guys. It's no use to do it if you guys aren't invested. And I hear so often, I hear so often how much you guys are enjoying it. It means a lot to me and to Travis. Lastly, I want to thank our military, domestically and all around the world. Our men and women in uniform are the reason we're free. Do not forget it. Thank you all for hanging out. We'll see you next time around.